All right, quick question, survey. What is, and you can shout this out, okay? What's your favorite fruit to eat? Mango, strawberry, pineapple, peach, passion fruit. All right, where do you get passion fruit? Kenya, there you go. I like it. Um, My favorite fruit became a coconut. Is that a fruit or is it a nut, technically? But either way, when we go to the Dominican Republic and we're out serving in this sugarcane village and it's humid and 95 degrees and we'll find a guy, a little coconut stand and a guy's got fresh coconut, he takes his blade, boom, pops it in there and you put a straw and just drink the coconut water right out of the coconut. Now, that's God's Gatorade right there. That's the original Gatorade. You get your, all your electrolytes and hydrolytes and all the things that you need to, to be properly hydrated. Yeah, hydrolytes. Um, but as I was thinking about, you know, in the, in the natural, we depend upon farmers for fruit. Thus, we de- depend upon King Supers for our fruit. We depend upon... Most of us do depend upon a farmer. We depend upon, you know, a a store to go buy our fruit. And I I did a little research on the Google, right? You ever go to the Google? And when I was on the Google, I researched what was the easiest um, fruit trees to, if you wanted to have something in your yard or at your house, what would be the easiest fruits for you to grow? So, and in from six to one, this is the easiest fruits to sustain over a period of time if you were to grow. The first one is an apple tree. I don't, won't read all of that, but um, the interesting part about an apple tree is apple trees need a winter season. They need to go completely barren outwardly so that their root system goes deeper and deeper and deeper and you know, continue to produce fruit over, over the life of the tree. I think that correlates to some of our life spiritually, that we go through winter seasons and we feel barren, we feel fruitless, right? But when you come out of winter into spring, so to speak, you're going to be fruitful. And you might be in a season right now where you feel like it's winter, but God is growing your roots. He's making them go deeper into the ground. The fifth one is, I forgot, I think it's gooseberry whatever in the world a gooseberry is. But um, apparently they're very nutritious and easy to sustain. I think the next one, help me out here, is figs, right? Have you ever had a fig? They're pretty delicious. Um, And then blueberries, who doesn't love a blueberry? Get your antioxidant in when you eat a blueberry, right? And then uh, raspberries, those are good. Blackberries, next. I say it with a question mark. Is it blackberries? Survey said strawberries. <laughs> Survey said. So those are the, the, the easiest fruits to grow and to sustain if you wanted to do that. Aren't you glad you had an agricultural lesson here on a Sunday morning? Well, we're in a series called Mirrors, where we are looking at what does it mean to be created in the image of God and how the New Testament calls the the fruit of the Spirit, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. And how the fruit of the Spirit is how we really mirror who God is. We were created by God, 
with this dignity over all other creation as human beings that we can think, we can reason, we can make choices, we can love. You know, mountains are beautiful, but they don't have that same capacity. The mountains, the stars, the ocean, that's God's handiwork. It's his artwork. But we were created to reflect his image. And so we've been kind of taking this unique way of looking at the fruit of the Spirit as the way that we uh, reflect the, the character and the nature of God. But what I want to stress is that when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, as a fruit tree doesn't, it doesn't manufacture the fruit. It doesn't try to squeeze out the fruit or work harder. It happens naturally through what it was created to be. We don't produce the fruit of the Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit in us does. And so the more you and I are connected to Jesus and abiding in Him, the more fruitful our lives are going to be and the more these fruits are going to be there. So today we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. Faithfulness. The Greek word for faithfulness, the New Testament was translated from Greek. The, new, the Greek word for faithfulness Faithfulness is pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, and it means to trust, to rely upon. It's the exact same word that's used for faith. So faith and faithfulness really go hand in hand. In Hebrews 11.1, we're told that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. So when we get the word faithfulness, you can almost look at it as, you know, you are full of faith. You're filled with faith, faithfulness. We're being faithful. We're filled with faith. I'll put it to you another way. Can God be trusted? This is on your notes. Can God be trusted? How I respond to this question, if I say yes, is God trustworthy and reliable? Does he exist and is he reliable? That's the word faith. That's where we get the word faith. If I say no, then that would be faithlessness. I, you know, if you don't believe that God is who he is or trustworthy or reliable. But if you do, that's faith. It says in uh, Psalm 145, 13, the Lord is trust, trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. God's trustworthy. Everything we do is by faith. It's a trust and it's a reliance upon God. We're saved by faith, right? We believe that Jesus Christ really lived, really died, really rose again, and is coming back again. That's faith. That's a trust. That's a reliance upon. We pray by faith. Every time you offer a prayer up to God, you're, you're saying, God, I trust you. God, I'm relying upon you. And God, I believe you really exist. And all of us are at different levels of faith, but, there, but Jesus said if you have the faith of a mustard seed, this very small mustard seed, you could move a mountain. So it's not the amount of faith that you and I have, it's who our faith is in, that we trust and rely upon God. We live by faith in, the, in everyday life, though. Every time you use a cell phone, you are operating in faith. There's no cord. There's, you know, nothing on the wall. It's this little device that sends a signal up into space and goes to, you know, a satellite. And then I can text you and I could text Brian right now and it would go, doo, 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 and all of a sudden he gets the text. How does that happen? Maybe 1% of us in this room could literally explain that. The rest of us just know when it doesn't work, we're frustrated when we don't have enough bars. So when it, when it comes to flying in an airplane, 
I mean, no, it takes faith, right? I've seen the beginning of Lost several times. And, uh, or, or read about other plane crashes. It takes faith when you get on that plane. Literally, every time I get on a plane, I get Pentecostal and lay hands on the plane and, and make sure, because it's like you're going to go 30,000 feet up in the air and get from point A to point B in this jet. Like, it's crazy to think about. Steve, our bass player, flies uh, all the time, and I think, man, he's just used to it by now. But it still takes faith, right, to get you from point A to point B. The second question to ask then and to bring it to faithfulness is, can I be trusted? Can you be trusted? That's faithfulness. Can you and I be relied upon? Do we keep our vows? Do we keep our commitments? Do we keep our promises through thick and thin? Are we faithful? Proverbs 20 verse 6 says, Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. I think our level of faith, um, our level of trust and reliance upon God coincides to my faithfulness. In other words, the more you and I trust God and rely upon Him, the more faithful people we will be. The more we will be able to be trusted and relied upon and keep our commitments. If I don't really believe God is trustworthy, it's going to be easy for me not to be trustworthy. But if I'm to reflect the character of God, we're to be trustworthy and reliable. So over and over we see uh, this reflection of God that God is faithful and He wants us to reflect Him. When I'm faithful, this is on your notes, when I'm faithful, I'm reflecting who God is. There's about a hundred verses in the Bible about God being faithful. That's just one of them there in 1 Corinthians. These are encouragements to be faithful. When I'm faithful, I'm reflecting who God is. God is on the lookout for faithful people. Did you know that? says in 2 Chronicles uh, 16.9 that the eyes of the Lord are, are searching the world to see whose hearts are faithful towards him. And then I've said this already, but my faithfulness is a direct reflection of my faith. Jesus said in Luke 19.8, he said, will the son of man find faith on the earth when he returns? Will he find people filled with faith, being faithful to him and faithful to one another? That's, that's what he's looking for in us. So it's important that that we stress again that faithfulness, all the fruits of the Spirit, are produced by the Holy Spirit. So how can you and I demonstrate this faithfulness? Um, And before we get into it, I want to remind you of something that I've been talking about, we've been talking about throughout this, this series, that if we're created in the image of God, just like this mirror, I see my reflection. I still look tired, Scott. I'm tired. You know, I still look tired. I can see myself. God created human beings to see himself in, in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And so he wants to see himself. But we know that in the fall of Adam and Eve, it brought shame. It brought sin into this world and death. And that image has now been distorted, right? It's a shattered image. And that when I'm unfaithful, untrustworthy, unreliable, I'm, I'm, I look like this mirror. But in comes the gospel. The one who truly reflects the image of God, Jesus Christ. He is the full image 
of the invisible God. He came to show us what God was like. And so when we see Jesus, we see what God is like. We see the full reflection of God. And Jesus has is come to, to take us as fallen image bearers, distorted image bearers, and restore us to reflect his image back completely. And this striving to cooperate with the Holy Spirit is how that happens. Let me give you a few things on how we can demonstrate faithfulness as you and I cooperate with the Holy Spirit. The first thing is, I can be faithful in the little things. The word integrity the, from a, a biblical meaning, the word integrity obviously means whole, to be a whole person. But the word integrity in Bible times meant without cracks, literally. It, you would go to the market and you'd buy a piece of pottery. And you would take your pottery and you'd hold it up in the sunlight. And if you saw any light coming through, then you knew it had cracks. So it, it, didn't, it lacked integrity. Keep this image in your mind. You'd pour water in it, and if water leaks out of the pottery, then you know it didn't have the kind of integrity that you need in in a pot. Jesus said, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. What are the little things in our life? that we need to be faithful in. I mean, you start, always start with the small things in your life. Maybe it's your work, right? That you work hard at your job as unto the Lord. Not for man, but you work as unto the Lord. You, you keep your word. You don't take shortcuts. You don't, you don't cheat. You don't do this or that. I mean, that's the little things of being faithful. Um, if you're a student, you know, you don't cheat on your tests. You actually do your homework. You do things the right way. That's integrity, and that's learning to be faithful in little things. It's, you know, you don't say you're going to do something and then not do it. It's being learning to be faithful. But I think one of the, the key things is to remember that all of our life, everything that you and I have is on loan from God. We're stewards of everything we have. If you're a parent, your children are not yours. They're his. And he gave you the privileged responsibility to raise them. Um, your car is not your own. Your house is not your own. Your finances are not your own. God has loaned everything that you have in your life for you to steward over. I mean, here's a perfect example. If, uh, if I had a Mercedes Benz, which would be cool, but if I had a Mercedes Benz and I loaned it to you for six months, it's not your car and you know that. How are you going to treat my Mercedes Benz? You're going to treat it differently than if it was your own, more than likely. If you use someone's house, you use their tools, whatever it is, whenever you know you're borrowing something from somebody, you tend to treat it differently. So what you and I have to do to be faithful in the little things is to see everything that we have as on loan from God. It's, a, it's, a, it's on loan from him that we steward over. And that's how we be faithful in little things. Second thing is this. I can be faithful to serve with my gifts and talents. And you may think right away, I don't have gifts and talents. Yes, you do. God has given every one of us in this room spiritual gifts and God-given talents that are used to benefit others. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 4.10. Each of you should use... Whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards, there's that word again, 
of God's grace in its various forms. Use whatever gift you have to serve as faithful stewards. So you can be faithful to God and to others as you use your gifts and talents for them. Faithful people realize that their gifts are not for their own benefit, that your gifts and talents have been given to, to, better, to better the body of Christ, to better the world. I was thinking about this when it came to, to high school sports. Um, I was not a very good athlete. Um, in, in football, I was like Rudy Rudiger. I was Rudy. I was too slow to be any kind of skill position and too small to be a lineman. So I played baseball, right? <laughs> I went to baseball. It was, there was a place for slow, slow small people in, in baseball. But I remember people would, um, you know, that had all kinds of God-given talents, big arms, you know, just good at the game. But they didn't pick up a ball all winter. They didn't do anything. They just show up. They didn't better themselves, and they could have helped our team be that much better if they would have actually put in the time. And I remember like kind of getting bitter towards people like, why did you not practice harder in the off season so that we could be better? And yet people don't always value the gifts and talents that they've been given. I was, I, I want to stress this to you. I know there's people in this room that you're thinking, I don't have gifts and talents. I don't care what you say. You do. I want to tell you briefly about one of my heroes of the faith that they're never going to make a movie about, they're never going to write a book about, but someone that impacted my life. Put that picture up for me. That's precious Margaret Benton. And uh, when I look at her, I want to cry because she impacted my life greatly. She's been in heaven for several years now, and I did her funeral, but she was the librarian at Rocky Mountain Bible Institute, and she faithfully gave her time to, to the school. But you know what that precious lady did? She prayed. She would pray and encourage and pray and encourage over and over and over. She did things behind the scenes that no one saw. She impacted my life, and I, I thank God for her. And I know that she used what she had, the gift of prayer and encouragement, to encourage people all the time. And I know there's a reward waiting for her on the other side because of her faithfulness with her gifts and talents. God gave you a gift, and you want to use it and be faithful to his glory. All right, the third thing. I can be faithful in difficult times when I don't feel like being faithful. Some of you today don't feel like being faithful anymore. Let's just be honest. You're, you're tired. You're worn out from, from faithfulness maybe in a marriage, faithfulness in a family situation, faithful at work, faithful to volunteer, whatever it is, you're like, ah, I'm kind of over this. Listen, you're a reflection, a direct reflection of God. Every time you're faithful, when you don't feel like it, it's important that you remember, this was something God taught me this year, that it does not take emotions and it does not take feelings to be faithful. When you think you have to muster up emotion and feelings to feel like you love somebody or going to care for them or do what's right, you're missing the whole thing. Do what's right. Do the action of love and faithfulness and feelings might follow behind. They usually do when we do what's right. So you don't need feelings to do what's right. One of the easiest 
times to be unfaithful is also when times are difficult. When times are, are, are trouble, you're going through trials of, of, of some sort. You, it's, that's the biggest time where we are tempted to be unfaithful. When life feels unfaithful to us, right? You go through that season, it's like, ah, God, where are you? God, why didn't it work out the way I thought it was supposed to? And you feel like maybe God's been unfaithful to you or life itself has been unfaithful. They, I, I read a statistic years ago about uh, married couples with special need children. Married couples with special need children have a higher divorce rate, double than that of the average family. Because life feels unfaithful when you're working harder or have this more difficult situation, it's easy to bolt, it's easy to give up. Here's what the scripture says. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Let's don't get tired of being faithful. Husbands and wives, don't get tired of being faithful. Parents, don't get tired of being faithful. Students, be faithful. Learn faithfulness young. The far, for the farmer, there's ne, there, there's, uh, he works in the wintertime. He or she work in the wintertime. That's no season off. You're doing something to prepare for the harvest. That's a, the, the law of sowing and reaping, he says right here. He says, at the right time, if we continue to be faithful, then we will reap a blessing. Sowing and reaping, you, you sow a seed and you're going to reap a harvest. If I sow negative stuff in my life, I'm going to reap negativity. If I sow positive good things, the things of God, then you're going you're to reap the blessing. Remember the great theologian Forrest Gump? He, uh, he knew what he was talking about. And do you remember when they started Bubba Gump Shrimp? You know, bubble gum shrimp, dish shrimp, that shrimp, all that. <laughs> that just came to me, sorry. Um, remember the guy who talked like that? It was funny. But um, butterfly shrimp. All right, I'm done with that. In the story, they, they have this, this company to, to, to fish and, and go out and gather shrimp. And there was this storm that was coming, going to come in, like a, maybe even a hurricane. So they decide to leave the ship in dock and, and just let the, the storm pass. But then they get this idea. We'll be the only ones out there. And we know when storms happen, you catch more fish. That's, that was his thought. And they went out. They weathered the storm, the difficult time. And they brought in the biggest haul that they could dream of. And it set their company above everybody else. And he made a huge windfall for being you know, I guess faithful is what I'm trying to say in a difficult time to press through. That's what we need. Number four, I can be faithful and demonstrate faithfulness with my finances. There's probably nothing that gives us a glimpse into our lives, both spiritually and in every way, the way we deal with finances. It's just, it's just the way it is. Jesus talked a lot about money because our pocketbook, our wallet, our, our checking account is a window into how we live our lives. It's a window into what we spend our money on. And what we spend our money on is usually what we value, what we value the most. Jesus said in Luke 16, 9, he said, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. 
In other words, when you're generous with your stuff, you're generous with your finances, Jesus is saying in the life to come, they will welcome you. Where your treasure is, your heart is. And there's a promise of a reward of how we steward God's money, the money that we have in this life is going to bring a blessing to us in the life to come if we're generous. And generosity is who God is. God is a generous God. You can't out-generous God. He is the most generous being there is. It's easy to be faithful and generous in times of plenty. I know that to be true. When things are going good, it's, it's easy to be generous. But when things are tough, when, it, when you're going through a, more of a difficult time, then we kick into a scarcity mentality. There's two ways to look at finances and faithfulness. I can have a scarcity mentality, which means if I'm generous, if I, if I give, if i you know, generous with my stuff, what's going to be left over for me? That's scarcity. What will be left over for me versus the attitude that God wants us to have about finances is an abundance attitude. And that's not the health and wealth gospel. That is Jesus's gospel. That when, when I, an abundance mentality is I can't outgive God and that it's all God's to start with and I can't out generous God. You'll never win that one. So an abundance mentality says God will always bring more. God will always bring an abundance. And then as you're generous with it, you get blessed. He continues that blessing. You can't out-give God. You can't out-generous God. He wants us to be generous and faithful with our finances. Fifthly, I can demonstrate faithfulness in this. I can be faithful to build the faith of others. It's not just the teacher, the youth pastor, the pastor's job to build the faith of other people. It's our job collectively together to build one another's faith. Please don't ever go into this mentality that, that you, you need me to build your faith or a pastor or somebody. We need one another and somebody needs you to build and encourage them in their faith. Paul told Timothy, he said, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's key. Building each other's faith. Why do we have home groups? So that we build one another's faith. Why do you need to be in a home group? So that you can have your faith built and you can pour into somebody else. Why do we have core groups? To build one another's faith. Why do we have Tuesday night disciples, TND, so that we can mature in our faith and help build one another and, and grow. Why do we do men's and women's and all these things? It's to grow our faith, to help us mature. God wants everybody in this room to help somebody else mature in their faith. And you may think, well, I don't know the Bible very well, or I'm a new Christian, or what. It doesn't matter. God uses new believers all the time to pour into people who have been walking with the Lord for a long time because there's usually a zeal about a new believer that maybe has waned sometimes in people who have been walking with Jesus for a long time that's so needed. You are needed. Let me tell you this. Start at home in building the faith of your children. Start at home. Don't depend upon Sunday school, youth pastor, or anybody else to build the faith of your children. It's your responsibility, parents, to build your, your kids' faith. Everything else is just 
supplementing or supporting what you're teaching and doing at home. Read the scriptures with your kids. Help them memorize the Bible. Help them understand the gospel. Help them to understand who Jesus is and what, what the purpose of their life is. You're the number one discipler. Don't depend upon somebody else. Build the faith of your children and, and the faith of one another here. I've been blessed by so many of you to pour into my life. I say thank you. You've built my faith. And I thank God for the, the, the mentors and people who have poured into my life for building, being faithful to build my faith. And then the last thing is this. We can demonstrate faithfulness. I can be faithful by sharing my faith with others. When's the last time you shared your faith with someone? When's the last time you gave a reason for the hope that you have because of Jesus to someone? It's our responsibility to share our faith. Jesus commissioned the disciples. He commissioned his disciples. He told them, he said, but power will come upon you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll receive power. And you're going to be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. He said, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Meaning, guys, you're going to, the Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to tell people about me in Jerusalem. For us, that would be here in Westminster. And then that gospel is going to turn the city of Jerusalem upside down and it's going to spread to the regions outside and to the ends of the earth. And the gospel is still going forth throughout the world to unreached people groups. We need to be people who take sharing our faith and sharing our hope seriously. It doesn't mean you stand on a street corner. I'm not opposed to that or anything. It just means that you look for opportunities and that you pray, and that you ask God, God, where's an opportunity for me to share you and what you've done for me? Because sharing your faith is not a sermon. Sharing your faith is just simply telling people about who Jesus is and what he's done for you and what he can do for them, giving a reason for the hope that you have. And we're told in Peter to do that with gentleness and respect. No one's ever been argued into the kingdom of God. You know that, right? Arguing is so dumb. It's, it's fruitless. But, but you will, you'll see fruit in your life as you love people. Just start there. Love your neighbor. Get to know your neighbor's names. Coworkers. If you, when you begin, the more you know about somebody's life and what they're going through, the more you're going to be able to be there for them and, and, and share your faith with them. I believe it's good news. Do you believe it's good news? It's the best news ever. It's the best news ever about Jesus. We tell people about good things that happen to us, whether it's a new job or a good health report or your kids did this or that. We tell people good news. We have the best news that's ever been told. We live in a world where it looks pretty bleak right now and it's chaotic and people don't love each other and they don't don't treat people with respect and dignity the way we're, we're supposed to. We get that opportunity in Jesus to share with, the, with this world the love of God. So stand with me. I wonder in your life right now as a way of bringing this to a close, 
Is there an area of your life in, in these areas of demonstrating faithfulness that maybe you need to repent? Is there, is there an area in your life where you're not being faithful in the little things? You know, being, being faithful to, to, with your gifts and talents. Maybe you're in a difficult season right now or you don't feel like being faithful anymore. Somewhere, is there an attitude, a mindset that you need to repent of and say, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm lacking faithfulness there. I'm trusting in you today, Holy Spirit, to flood and fill me fresh and new so that I can be a faithful reflection of who you are, God, because God is always faithful. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, if you've never, with your, with your heart, confess with your mouth, from your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is real and that he's your Savior, that he came, he lived a perfect life, he died a brutal death, and he rose again so that we could have new life. If you've never done that before, do that today. You say, Jesus, I trust you. I believe in you. I give you the mustard seed of faith that I have right now and ask you to grow it. He'll be faithful to do that. And then commit to following him as Lord. Commit to intentionally do all that he says to do, believing that he has the keys to life, to purpose, to hope, to all that we need. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord, you're, you are so faithful and so good. I pray for those in this room that are wrestling with faithlessness. They're wrestling with their faith or just difficult season. Lord, I pray for you to fill them fresh and new, to walk in the spirit, to walk in new life, to walk in hope, and to trust you even in the middle of the difficulties and to do things your way. Help us to be a faithful community where we love one another. We love you, we love one another, and we love our community well, God. In Jesus' name, amen.